0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. It's been a while and I'm excited to be back with you all um, and to kick off a brand new series. Um, This show has been alive for hundreds of episodes, believe it or not. And um, Let's see. Um, We have been covering the business of therapy for a very long time and uh, I in my time away from the podcast, had the idea to bring clinical topics to you all. And uh, I've been kind of going through a revival myself uh, clinically in finding the IFS model and learning it through people like Derek Scott, who is our guest today. And so what better place to start than to start there with IFS? So I wanted to bring on someone who who knows a lot about IFS to the show today. So I'm really excited to to do that. Um, Before we do that, I want to say a quick... Uh, shout out to our sponsor, Jane. Uh, Jane is a practice management software designed to help health and wellness practitioners manage their practices with features like online booking, admin scheduling, notes, and integrated payments. Uh, my practice actually just switched to Jane uh, this month, and it's been a really wonderful transition so far. Um, Jane makes it really easy for you to meet with individuals, couples, families. Um, you can do one-on-one, you can do group telehealth, uh, lots of options there. To learn more about Jane and their full suite of features, head to jane.app forward slash mentalhealth-us. It'll be in the description. That's jane.app forward slash mentalhealth-us. Uh, you can use the code PPW1MO for month for a one-month grace period for your new account. So thanks again to Jane for, uh, for sponsoring us. So that being said, really excited to introduce my guest for today. Um, Derek Scott is the, um, the founder of IFSCA um, and a certified IFS therapist. Really excited to have him. We'll bring him officially on stage and <laughs> see if our technology works once and for all. And uh, Derek, thank you for, for being here.
1: Oh, thanks for the invite. I, I appreciate the opportunity to I love IFS, so I appreciate any opportunity to talk about it. Thanks, John.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I actually discovered you um through a place where I spend way too much time, which is YouTube. That's how I <laughs> learn about everything in life now, whether it's like did I do my taxes wrong or <laughs> what is IFS? So I found an episode of you. Um, doing a live session with um, Tammy Sollenberger, who now is also my IFS consultant and she's teaching my group practice IFS and then I'm in your program uh, stepping Uh. stones and um, but I have to tell you that that video and seeing you do the model was just first of all incredible and obviously very generous for Tammy to offer you know, to, to, to be a client in that session. But just to see the model live in action, it was just such a wonderful way to to try to understand it. And it seems like that's a very IFS thing, is that a lot of times the teaching is through experiencing it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it, One of my students once said to me, uh, the difference between practicing it and reading about it is the difference between um, watching the Olympic swimmers and then diving in the pool, right? It's yeah. so, like, yeah, you gotta get in there. <laughs>
0: I'd love for you to um, maybe fill fill us in a little bit more, just kind of you know who you are and how you got here. I've heard a bit of your story about how you came to IFS, but I'd love to hear a little bit of that for our audience and then we'll get into our 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 topic at large here.
1: Sure. yeah, I went to a retreat about 20 years ago down in Mexico, and uh, when I got there, saw this guy called Dick Schwartz, who's the founder of the model, and uh, he was in a yurt surrounded by women. And my first thought was, oh God, I have stepped into a cult. <laughs> now, I'm going to spend a week with group therapists. I don't even like therapists and it's a cult. So my, uh, I later realized my protective parts were all up around this. Um, and then about halfway through the week, I softened a lot. Had the opportunity to be a subject of a demo with Dick Schwartz, which was transformative that one session. And then came home I was so excited it's like this is the thing right so i've got very skeptical parts and they were kind of irritated because they were looking for like where it doesn't fit but it seems to fit so went to best buy got um a video camera made a cheesy little video called understanding the personality system got a youtube channel um because at the time there was nothing on youtube and i thought this is important we've got to get this out you know and then I took the camera back because you can have it for 14 days and not pay for it, which I thought was a good <laughs> deal. You know, I just went to Mexico. Mexico yeah. is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and then I discovered I like making videos. Um, it's my preferred way to teach because it's quick and it's clear and it reaches people. And um, writing a book is laborious. So this is my preferred way to get the information out there. So Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Made a bunch no, of it. No, I love since. that. Yeah, yeah. Good. yeah, you have a great, you know, selection between both demos and also more kind of didactic or talking about the model. You have a series where I think it was another therapist, maybe kind of a friend of yours. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe she's from the UK. I can't remember um, uh, who is kind of interviewing you about IFS, but it's a really nice series um, broken yeah, up yeah. into different topics.
1: Yeah, that's the IFS for therapists series, speaking to some of the aspects of the model. Yeah, there's also another one which has so much fun doing where I play the client and the therapist. And when I'm the therapist, I've got this long beard. And when I'm the client, I've shaved it. And it's just so fun. I ran around the house with a step ladder and same camera. (laughs) I'm trying to do all these things, but it it was to give a sense of what a session might look like, how it could flow. Yeah,
0: That's great. One time when I was in fifth grade, um, I was running for class president and I had the idea to interview myself in two characters and I had a, <laughs> like a golf cap and I would wear it forward and I would speak in a really bad British accent. Um, and then I would flip it around <laughs> and be like uh-huh. the kid. Um, yeah, yeah. and people loved it and I won. So yeah. Maybe some early parts work there. Who knows?
1: I think we got the same part, except for my accent is genuine. That's the only. Yeah, part. exactly.
0: I I have to ask. Uh, I'm always curious about how you ended up in in Canada and, and uh, yeah, how life brought you there. If you if you don't mind.
1: Oh, uh, well, I first came when I was seventeen. I wanted to travel. I didn't want to go to the states because uh-huh. it's the states and um, <laughs> uh, and. It, I want to go somewhere where I could speak English and be understood because my languages are not good. So Canada made sense. And I came to mm. Toronto, I was 17, I stayed at the YMCA for two nights, it was horrible. Um, I looked through the paper and I found a, a a room in a shared house downtown and I went to see it. And it was a, there were five young people in the house between 20 and 30. And they gave me the room even though I was just there for five weeks and they kind of adopted me. And um, I got to live like a young Canadian, not in his parents' home, yeah. downtown Toronto, and uh, thought, I am going to move here one day. So I got my free education first in England. And at the end Sweet. of that, it was stay in England with Margaret Thatcher or go to Canada. So um, guess what I did?
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. I can imagine where you live is quite beautiful. I can always see this like glimpse of a tree behind you in your your house there or wherever you are. <laughs>
1: I'm in uh, British Columbia. Um, I'm I'm actually on top of a mountain in British Columbia. It is. It's beautiful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sounds ideal. Um, Well, yeah, let's talk about the model a bit. I mean, just wherever you want to begin. Like I said, this is a new series for our podcast. But um, So therapists may have an idea of what IFS Uh means, what it stands for. Um, uh, Some might be totally new to it, if you don't mind just kind of bringing us into the basics, and then we can talk about yeah, we'll find our way into it.
1: Yeah. So Dick Schwartz developed the model in the 80s, uh, initially, and IFS stands for internal family systems. He was a family systems therapist, and he realized, he got this clarity when working with his clients, when they talked about a part of me feels like this, a part of me feels like that, he's like, wait a second, what if these parts are real? And what if they're organized internally in the same way that external families get organized? And he started asking them about their parts. Um, discover that indeed, the psyche is multiple. We all have a bunch of parts, and we know this intuitively. If I said to you, John, hey, do you want to meet for lunch on Friday? You might say, ah, part of me does, part of me doesn't. We do that all the time. We just haven't noticed that we do that all the time. And then, all these different parts of us that have different roles, on top of that, at our core, is what Dick called our self, because it's, clients were saying, well, that's just myself. And that self consistently has the same qualities in all of us. Compassion, curiosity, um, calmness, courage, creativity, connectedness, a couple of other C words. And what it boils down to for me is kindness. Right? Uh-huh. And so here's an example of that. If you, John, or any of the listeners here, you step outside after this, you look down your street, and you see there's maybe an eight-year-old kid who's crying like sobbing into their hands you look around there's no other kids around there's no other adults around john what's your impulse when you see that kid
0: yeah go right to them comfort them get down on their level eye contact just Mm -hmm. yeah just to to help and be there
1: yeah find out what's going on right so what are you so what are you doing there you're being calm you're bringing your curiosity and your compassion to that vulnerable being that's who you are That's simply who you are at your core. Now, for many years in the mental health field, um, a guy called Winnicott um, posited that you needed to have good enough parenting to have those kinds of qualities. You have to learn them from being well-parented. And what Dick clued into was that no matter what's happened to you, no matter what the level of trauma, at your core, this is who you are. Now that can be covered up by the different parts of you, but at your core, that's who you are. So when we're calling this a non-pathologizing approach, the very fact we have to call it that tells you that the mental health field has had decades of pathologizing us. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Where's the disease? But what if there's nothing wrong with you? Well, there's nothing wrong with you or me or any of us. That's where we start with IFS, and it's yeah. brilliant because it's, it's accurate. Uh,
0: you know, you all. Have- IFS talks a lot about the paradigm shift and um, that just continues to kind of floor me in terms of this, the position that IFS takes with the person and how we're made. And if someone comes in and they say, you know what, I'm here because... um, you know, I, I know that I drink too much and my wife says I drink too much, or I went to 12 step and they said, yeah, you're, you're an addict. Um, you always be an addict, whatever it is. And they come in with all that heaviness, all that shame. And of course yeah. in IFS we would say they're blended with all these parts. Yeah. Um, sometimes what I'm finding in my clinical work is, and still being new to the model is just starting there with the unblending piece. Right. So there's a mm-hmm. part of you that really likes to drink. Right. right. There's a part of you that gets angry and raises yeah. your voice. Right. And then you feel really bad about it. Right. Yeah. How do you feel toward that angry part? Right. Can you uh-huh. can you can you find that angry part right now and just invite it all the way up? Like, why would I want to do that? Right. I'm here to get rid of that part. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah.
1: Yeah. So what we would say then is, oh, the part of you that wants to get rid of that part, would it be okay with that one if we just got to know it? Because what we know is Every single part of us, no matter what it's doing, has a positive intent, including, and this is going to sound odd, including suicidal parts, parts that are sure. actually suicidal. And if someone's listening to this, it might be like, how the hell could that be a positive intent? If you ask it, if you just get curious about these parts, the suicidal part will usually tell you it is aware of other parts in the system holding so much pain, so much emotional distress, so much trauma, that life is really just about pain and the occasional escape from it. Yeah. And the suicidal part really could be seen as operating out of compassion itself, right? It's like, let's end the pain, even if it means ending the system. And once that part is respected and understood, it will often back off if it believes there's another option. And IFS gives us the other option, which is that what we call yourself or your self energy, you bring that to the part holding the pain. And Parts holding pain are usually kids that were hurt, sometimes deeply hurt, and there was no one around to witness that hurt, so a part holds the hurt. When, as adults, we can come to that part in our own system, so this isn't your job as the therapist to fix me, right? A, I'm not broken, and B, it's not your job, but you guide me to coming into that part, and I can say, hey, what happened? What happened? How come you feel so badly? Who told Mm -hmm. you you were unlovable, or whatever it's holding, right? And when it's witnessed now by me, it can release that pain, which means the protective parts can step down, and uh, that part is a lot more happy, and it's not going to get triggered anymore because we've cleared the pain. That's what we're doing with this work. And it's a very, very beautiful and accurate understanding of the human psyche. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm just a a total convert. It's ridiculous. I <laughs> I've been <laughs> doing therapy for 12 years and never have I found a model that feels so um complete and so gentle and so genuinely honoring of the client of of humanity and that humanity, what if yeah. you actually do have what it takes inside of you to heal yourself. Um, yeah. and it's also been a tremendous relief for me personally. I, I took like a year and a half sabbatical from doing clinical work, just reached absolute burnout mm-hmm. points of kind of being the attachment figure for right. 20 people a week. Right. And mm-hmm. I was trained psychodynamically. So everything that's happening is about you and me. Right. And so if you've got anger issues, I got to get you eventually to be angry with me and then I can be warm and empathic. And hopefully you internalize that and take it out in the world. <laughs> But I've got to take your anger for nine months to get there. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And, the, um, and the the yeah. irony is, you know, if you're warm and empathic to my angry part, another part of me will go, oh, I can be angry and I can be met with warmth and empathy. But the original angry part might not have that experience at all because they're different parts, right? So Totally, yeah. totally. I want to comment as well, yeah. John, you talked about unblending. So blending is when a part fully takes us over. So, you know, I am angry, that's a part, mm-hmm. or I am sad. That's a part. We know it's a part because it doesn't have those qualities of self. But that unblending piece, all by itself, I want to share with you. I have three videos on my YouTube channel on understanding shame, which is not you, how it gets taken on, and how we can clear it. Because it's not innate, Mm. but it's um, all over the place because we've all been shamed by our parents. It's a common parenting tool, right? Um, So anyway, I made these three videos. They're free for people to access. uh, And there's a meditation to help clear the shame. Um, very good feedback on those. But I got this email a couple of years ago from a guy who's who uh, wrote, I am crying as I am typing this to you. I'm 50 years old. My entire life I believed at my core there's something wrong with me and I'm unlovable. And now knowing that that is held by a part of me, I cannot tell you the relief. He hasn't done any therapeutic work. He hasn't come... But just knowing that that's only a part of me and not my totality for this man was it, it, he revisited 50 years of his life and it's remarkable just that one piece what happens when we recognize that that is held by a part of us. So I wanted to share that with you because yeah it's so powerful, just that
0: it's it's incredible and um you know I just I just started with a new client recently who um, You know the one liner is like client with anger issues right Mm -hmm. um and uh in our very first session we just worked with again inviting that angry part to to be here can we get to know it a little bit can we ask it what it's trying to do for you right this is where it gets really interesting right guess what guess what protectors try to do they they try to protect using the one Uh tool they often have right yeah which is anger get people Uh to back away from me Mm -hmm. right um because it's something is about to go wrong right okay well that makes sense right and about about how old is that part how old does it think you are right just really gently just kind of exploring there right basic stuff Uh um but that externalizing or that 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 unblending right is um was enough for her to go i've been to 10 different therapists my whole life and 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 she's had a classic experience where she comes in and they go all right you got anger issues we gotta we gotta get rid of this anger right yep. so what do we do this kind of top-down approach of uh-huh. like breathing or dbt skills or maybe more mindfulness or when you feel anger snap a rubber band on your wrist you know whatever <laughs> it is and it's like that is a lot of therapy right and and i've done a lot of those things too very well intending of like let's tamp down this 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 ugly anger right before it really screws your life up before you really yell at your kids like you've yelled at them a little bit like we don't want you to really yell or like that's where a lot of the work starts and that's where a lot of it stays right and then that experience of like something's really wrong with me and i gotta get rid of this part of me and guess what the part is like they don't they don't like that either right and so We go in, and we're, we're actually not trying to get rid of you. We're trying to understand mm-hmm. kind of how you how you got here, and how you took on this this role, and the fears you have around what if I didn't do it? What if I didn't turn on the anger? You know, right. What, what what might go wrong?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's you know back to that. Every single part has a positive intent, right? What's the positive intent of your angry part? You you ask it. if if you hypothetically, if you didn't respond with anger, what might happen? And here's a possible scenario. You go to work every day. You have to go to work every day. You've got to bring in the money. And your boss, for whatever reason, shames you every day, humiliates you in front of the other staff every day. And it lands on a part of you that was maybe shamed when you were a kid that feels all of that, you know, the feelings that a kid will hold. And so, you know, quote, unquote, I have explosive anger at my boss. What's wrong with me? And the the tragedy of therapy is well-meaning therapists will agree, oh, yeah, there's something wrong with you, <laughs> and there
0: isn't. Yeah, and there's right? a code got, for it in a
1: big book. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Big Pharma will make lots of money like fixing <laughs> it for you. You know, It's like, no, get to know the angry part. Who are you protecting? A vulnerable five-year-old. Could I hear what happened to the five-year-old so it gets witnessed and it can release it? Once that's gone... The boss will still keep shaming, but it won't land on the same trigger, and there'll be no need for the angry protector to come up. And that angry protector is usually reactive when a part's been triggered that has some vulnerability. The other side of it are the proactive parts that want to make sure that that part, for example, doesn't get triggered. So if it's a part that feels like it's no good, how can we make sure it doesn't get triggered? Very commonly, we'll see the people pleaser. Every single person you meet, you have to pull in some positive energy. You become a chameleon so that they like you, so there's no risk that the part of you that feels mm-hmm. like it's not okay is going to get triggered. That's exhausting. Every yeah. single person you meet, or the perfectionist: if I just get everything right under all circumstances, I will not be criticized because criticism means there's something wrong with me. So you know, these are very yeah. common protective parts, and like I say, they get exhausted. Yeah, um, and when we're able to come to the part that, for whatever reason, has picked up messages about not being good enough, witness it help it clear it, then I don't need to be the perfectionist. And I don't need to be the people pleaser. I can keep those skills because that part of me has those skills, and they can be very helpful. You're going for a job interview. You want your people pleaser right up there. But <laughs> sure. not every time I see another human being, right? That's just too much.
0: Yeah, yeah. So to, to go further with that, um, so these protector parts operate in part based on the assumption that if a – um, a more vulnerable uh, part that is oftentimes very wounded, and like you said, oftentimes can be quite young. In other words, an exile part. The mm-hmm. the an exile an exile part can't handle what's about to happen, or can't handle right the experience of shame. And so we got to do mm-hmm. something about it, right? Either mm-hmm. prevent it altogether, in my mm-hmm. in being perfectionist, uh, right. perfectionistic, or never having flaws, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or in the case of uh, Um, firefighters it might look a little bit different right in terms of that that response to shame or perceived shame like something shaming is about to happen so they Mm -hmm. jump in can you say more about that that sure yeah yeah
1: yeah. so you've got the the protective system comes in two halves if you like The, the ones that are proactive let's try and make sure that doesn't get triggered when it does get triggered which is inevitable um If you just imagine going into work for a moment and your boss says something demeaning to you, if you didn't have your protective part, that part that just got triggered that feels the shame would begin to take over your whole body and you'd be consumed with like a five-year-old shame, right? And so your body would kind of cave in a bit. You couldn't make eye contact. You'd probably be frozen on the spot. You'd probably go red. You hate going red, so you go more red. You wish the earth would swallow you. You might start to cry. That's not safe. That's not safe, in, particularly in that environment, or in, in very many environments. So to prevent that happening, that's when what we call the firefighters come in. They, put, they distract from that emotional fire. Anger, if it's available to you, is a very common one. Um, you might decide you can hang out till lunchtime, but then you're going to go to the bar. You might sneak out and smoke a joint. You might go to the sl- slots on the way home and do some gambling. You might suddenly get very tired. You might uh, use food right, Um, binging and purging food. Um, If you're, this is more common with a, usually a young women's demographic, but you might cut to Mm -hmm. relieve relieve the emotional pain. Um, These Many of these activities are not socially supported, they're kind of frowned upon, right? So the manager parts of us that like to manage our lives, like the perfectionists and the people, they want us to look good. They're very concerned with social mores. When the firefighters do their reactive, immediate thing, they don't make us look good so that's when you hear in your head you know why the hell did you do that what's wrong with you well i had a right to be angry blah, blah 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 yeah and you'll hear them you'll hear them fighting inside your own head right and that's uh, we call that a polarity but that when those guys are going at it the part that we don't attend to is that um five-year-old that feels like it's not good enough and that's the gift of this is recognizing when those extreme Uh, behaviors are occurring, that they're coming from parts that are extremely protected because there's a part in extreme distress. And that's where we go. So when I make a bold statement, like there's nothing wrong with you or me or any of us, many of the people listening to this will say, oh, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know the things I've done. If you come to the part that did those things and you ask it how it was protecting you, it will have an answer. So we could even go to the example of Trump, right? I don't know what happened to that man's childhood, but I can guess, because what I do know about him is he's achieved, if you like, the highest position possible in the land, and it's not enough, which means he's not enough, which means there's a little boy inside of him, whatever that boy picked up, he's not good enough, and his protector has taken him to this place where you can't go any higher, really. And he still doesn't at his core feel like he's good enough because that's not the answer. The answer is to come to that little boy and say, hey, sweetie, who told you you weren't good enough? What happened? If he was able to do that, he wouldn't be acting out in all of these, frankly, horrific ways. And I realize that some of your listeners are gonna be Trump supporters, but I gotta speak what's true for me, right? Looking at the United States from Canada, it's like, what on earth? (laughs) Like, really? Um, but a lot of that you can look at as protective parts connected to exiles. Right? And so yeah. that's how I would understand even that man's behavior, which by many standards is outrageous, um, is a protective part of him protecting another part of him. Now, unfortunately, he also has power, and, what he, and he has access to power, and, and the way he's using it is the way he's using it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's an example of there's nothing wrong with him per se Right. But he does have extreme hurt and extreme protectors trying to compensate.
0: That's yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. So I, both um, in my clinical work, it has changed how I literally see my clients in this the second they sit down. Right. And I'm kind yeah. of looking for parts and I'm hearing parts. And a lot of times they come in and they're going, the parts are going like this. Right, or yeah. there's five or six that I've heard from in the first 40 seconds. They want to, and they they want to tell yeah. me everything, right? And it's yeah. like they want to please me and all this. And it's like, okay, yeah, wow. There's we've got <laughs> a lot of parts here, but also just in my life, um, it has given me a, a slightly different worldview. To your point on on Trump, uh, and just seeing people. Differently, right? Seeing them and and thinking about uh, their parts, right, and and uh-huh. that they are not that that is a part of them, but they are not that is a profoundly humanizing, right? If there's people in my life that bother me, right, or it's like I just don't uh-huh. know why that person just bothers me. Uh-huh. Um, in my training, again, ten years of working psychodynamically, it, it's like, well, I have some transference issue, and it's about me and my unresolved. BS and it probably has to do with my dad and I gotta work on that. And it kind of ends there in a way, right? Of like right. it's I feel shame for having transference, right? Whereas IFS yeah. takes a very different stance on what you guys would call you know transference. So maybe you can speak more to that too. And even as therapists, um, are working with their have parts up in a session um, with, yeah. with a client. Yeah. Yeah, so Or someone be- in their personal life.
1: Let me speak to this session because there's a piece here that I like to teach as well. It's important for me. Um, I'm part of the College of Social Work in Ontario, Canada, and they put out a quarterly publication. And in the the centerfold of this quarterly publication, uh, at the top of the page, there's a hammer and a gavel, like a judge's thing. And there's all these judgments on therapists that have transgressed. And I mean, for me, I know the rules. I don't need to see, you know, and it reads a bit like really cheesy therapist porn because they're like, you know, by the third session, so-and-so put their hand on the knee of the client. They said it was to reassure them. By the fifth session, the hand was sliding up their thigh. Mm -hmm. I really don't want to read this, but a part of me finds it compelling. But what's going on here? If you ask most therapists, for example, do you ever sexualize a client? Do you ever feel sexually attracted to a client? The response will usually be, no, I'm a professional, right? That is a part. Mm. Of course, if somebody hot walks into your office, you're going to have a part that goes, "Woo!" right? You just are. That's how we are, right? The difference with IFS is if I noticed that part of me, I would say, yeah, I know, hey such a shame we're meeting in this context because it means we can't act on it, right? We're not in a bar or a coffee shop or at a party. And I know that's hard for you because you think he's hot, right? So yeah, it's hard. And then it will pull back and it will kind of sulk a bit, but it will pull back. And now I am doing the therapeutic work. If, however, I'm saying I would never have a part to sexualize a client, this part will go, oh, good. I can sneak in under that idiot's radar. And that's where something like sexual abuse of clients and the, the, mis, the abuse of the therapeutic dyad um, happens. And it, it's so wrong ethically and morally, and it does so much damage to the client. And it's not necessary. If we could just acknowledge that within our humanity, there is a part that might find a particular client sexy. Let's just acknowledge it and then not act from it because it's just a part. That in itself could do so much good for a profession that, I mean, we all know the scandals in this profession, and it's damaging to clients, it's damaging yeah. to the profession, and, and it's absolutely not necessary. So, that's one example that obviously, yeah, quite strong, it's quite strongly about. <laughs> right?
0: so. Well, I, you know, again, I, it, my kind of therapist part translates things from psychodynamics into IFS now. And so, thinking about kind of like, um, you know, the role of suppression, right. Or of like, I have a thought that client's attractive and I need to work really hard to get rid of that thought or suppress it. Right. And then I feel kind of bad about it. And like, what kind of therapist am I? What kind of monster am I? Right. Uh Uh And, and, and that is just almost exactly the opposite of what you just walked us through. Uh Right. Which is like, of course that, that part is feeling some attraction. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And you're feeling that. Yeah, I, I get it. You can just hang out and you know see how the session goes and you're bringing your parts along for the ride but just like if you were trying to get anyone in your life to like change we don't get people to change by shaming them by guilting them right by coming at them by going why why are you doing that right why are you being attracted again you Uh know we have a lot at stake here and it's like then then the part feels shame or they come back twice as strong right and i find that is that's very true like to me it's also why like things like interventions don't really work you have 10 people coming and going hey you're you're an addict and you need to stop right or whatever um and then that you know you you might kind of uh uh manage that you know I, i don't know quell that part for 30 60 or 90 days or whatever and then it comes back twice as strong or people relapse or whatever it is so i just see i just see all that in a different way now seeing The world and my clinical work through an IFS lens.
1: That's great. Yeah, it's a great example, and like in the recovery uh, community, they have this term, the white-knuckle drunk, right? And what that means is, you can go to the party, but you're clenching your fists the whole time. You will not drink because the manager parts can make sure you don't, but you're not comfortable. You have to leave by nine o'clock because you're so stressed out. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, if your goal is to not drink, you, you can do it for a period of time, right? But, If you come to the drinking part and say, hey, how come you're drinking? Oh, you're connected to a part that gets socially anxious. Okay, maybe we could get to know that one. Oh, that one tracks back to your first day in the playground when you got beaten up by the other kids and they laughed at you, and you felt like you couldn't handle social situations. Great, let's get that five-year-old out of there. All right, let's help that one out. Let's hear its story. Then, no more social anxiety, no more habitual need to drink. Now, addiction is a bit complex because if it's been going on for years or decades, it becomes an habituated response and it takes a bit more work. It's not that straightforward. But those are the essential dynamics around parts that will uh, use substances because there are other parts that they're connected to that are feeling distress. And not to say that everyone that has a drink has an exiled part. That's not it at all. But if it's if it's habituated and it feels compelled, any behavior that feels compelled you're looking at a part that's holding distress. So the compelled people pleaser, the compelled drinker is essentially the same, right? It's being compelled yeah. by another part that we can help.
0: I want to come back to this and also the role of trauma in our parts. Um mm-hmm. I also just want to take a moment. Number one, to tell the folks that are here live watching, um, if you have questions for Derek, we got about ten minutes left. Um, please ask them in the chat. I'll bring them up one by one, and um, and we'll see if Derek can kind of talk us through them. I also want to give uh, Derek just give you a second to let people know exactly how you you know help people learn IFS, how you help therapists, and and of course where they can go to learn about your programs, and then we'll we'll keep talking. Sure. Thanks, John.
1: Yeah. So if you're curious about any of this, you can go to my website, ifsca.ca. It's pretty straightforward. Um, I offer a four-month course, which uh, teaches mental health professionals, uh, the one you're in, John, um, how to really get this model so that you can practice, you have practice sessions, there are consult groups, there are didactic teachings. And the end of the course, by the end of the course, you'll have a sense of how you can operate therapeutically from your own uh what we call self and it's funny john because i know your work has been about helping therapists build their practice ifs is the emerging paradigm in mental health and so if you train in this modality and you get good at it your practice will be full within two years because people will refer to you and they'll refer their friends and family to you so uh, and you're not tired at the end of the day. You do not burn out with IFS because you are not responsible for the client. You ne- you can not be. It makes no sense. The other option um, for anyone, is to go to my YouTube channel. I think it's Derek Scott YouTube or IFSCA YouTube. If you Google that, you'll find me. whole bunch of free videos, right? Especially I designed a lot of them for people that cannot afford therapy but want to learn how to do this for themselves. So please visit the YouTube channel if you'd like to do that. Thanks, John.
0: Great. Yeah. And the program has been amazing for me so far, um, you know, and, and uh, it's very experiential. So we're also practicing IFS mm-hmm. with one another, which is perhaps the best way to learn. Um, it's also for for myself and some of the folks in my practice groups, the first time we've done therapy in front of anyone in 10 years. <laughs> so we naturally had parts up around that, right? I had uh-huh. this kind of 17-year-old um uh, part who almost like reading in front of the classroom, you know, uh-huh. being a teenager and fumbling through it or, you know, yeah. feeling embarrassed or whatever it is. And, um, a lot of parts up around what if these people judge me, what if they think I'm a terrible therapist? Right. And then uh-huh. of course it's like, okay, work with that. Right. And learning to work with our own yep. systems is just such a huge part of the training, which I so appreciate. And, uh, Good. um, It's not easy, you know, and I, IFS, I, one of my martial arts instructors used to say simple, but not easy, simple, but not easy. And I think Uh some of that comes up with, with me, even just practicing the six F's, you know, it's like simple, but, but not easy or not easy to do it um, smoothly, Uh you know, with clients and while also um, working with your own system. But what you're doing, John, is you're
1: learning the nuances of the work, which is so important. A lot mm. of people, a lot of therapists will read books on IFS and think they can do it, and they can't, and it doesn't work. So once no, you've got it all, once, you, no, once you've got the nuances, it's like, oh, that's what's going to make you an excellent IFS-informed therapist. So.
0: and people's systems are so different, right? Some clients right. sit down, and right away you're working with parts and you're going deep, and uh there's an unburdening on the table. Other other clients you step in, and it's um, it's chaotic, parts are very up, it's it moves very fast, and it's hard to even get them to work with one part. At the end of the session, you walk away going, I'm not sure if we got anywhere today. <laughs> um to, to your point about the the burnout piece, I want to say that has very much been my experience. And after my year and a half sabbatical coming back and primarily using IFS with my clients, um You know, a few weeks ago, I saw six clients in a day, which is really the most I would ever see. Mm -hmm. Um, And I came home and I kind of told my wife, I said, "Um, I know you're not going to believe this, but I, I feel great. I feel just like I did in the morning when I started. and she's astounded right and like i'm ready to go we can do i've got kids stuff to do i got a three-year-old or i can hang out with my wife whatever it is whereas the last 10 years it's like six sessions and she knows i need to be in the the basement alone like with my headphones on for at least two hours before i can even like talk to her right it's just Uh psychically uh just so much (laughs) to take on and so whereas now it truly is between clients parts parts, and self, right? And that self, uh-huh. the parts connection. And that has just been such a tremendous relief that um, I don't have all the answers. So they come in and they go, you know, I'm thinking about uh, breaking up with, with my partner and do you think I should? I uh, And they, they just bring that on you and they put it in your uh-huh. lap, right? Yeah, or whatever yeah. it is, or that I need to be their attachment figure mm-hmm. to help them resolve mm-hmm. some, some relational trauma or whatever it is. So and after
1: after a good IFS session, here's an example, right? 23-year-old young woman uh, in an emotionally abusive relationship. She believes she deserves it. She doesn't deserve anything else. She learned that in the family of origin because her dad was a neglectful and abusive of her. And so she's, you know, her self-esteem's in the toilet. She has a session where she realizes that that's a six-year-old girl that's been getting her attention who feels like she's she's unlovable. She helps that part out. Once that part's helped out, I hear her say, you know what? I'm better than this. I'm gonna leave that guy, right? We end the session. I put on share because I'm an aging fag and I dance around the kitchen, right? It's like, that was a great session because she did her own work, which I guided her to. And the the joy that becomes available in doing the work is just remarkable. So yeah, yeah. no no burnout here.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's huge. Um, we got about f- five minutes left. I just want to, again, if anyone has questions from the chat about IFS or anything Derek's talked about, if not, um, I could probably prompt Derek with another, <laughs> another, yeah. another question. Um, maybe for now, Derek, uh, you know, I'm, I'm primarily a trauma therapist, you know, I've done EMDR since 2016 or so. And, um, you know, I train our therapists here at the practice. Um, can you say a little bit about um, the role of trauma in our parts or typically how parts work is um, looks a little different when there's trauma or even complex trauma?
1: Yeah that's a lot to go into in four minutes so let me um <laughs> let me just speak to what you'll find most commonly with trauma what's happened with trauma usually is a child has been hurt by an adult if it's interpersonal trauma Adults are meant to nurture children. We are not meant to be hurt by adults. We're the only mammalian species that makes war on its own children. And so that system learns that adults are not safe. People are not safe. So that system is not going to open up to you just because you call yourself a trauma therapist. No matter what you you have on your wall, you're not safe. So it's going to take quite a while for that system to determine that you are safe, that that system will put you through tests, to see if you if you can consistently be there because that's not been the experience. And the protectors, you'll be meeting the protective system a lot in clients with trauma. So you just hang in with the protective system, let it know that you get how important it is to dissociate. You get how important it is to be angry. You get how important it is to be self-effacing, however the protectors are presenting. You let them know that you respect them and you get what they're doing and why they're doing it. And over time, the protective system will begin to consider allowing you or allowing the client self to come into the parts that are holding the trauma material. And we do that in a way that's safe. We can titrate the trauma material so it doesn't overwhelm, it doesn't all come at once. Um, and we can facilitate healing from trauma in that way. Complex trauma is, you know, by definition, a bit more complex, and we don't have time to yeah. go into that right now. <laughs> if, if, and If you're working with the MDR, which is not a system based on multiplicity, if you let the protective system know what you're going to do, you're basically going to bypass them and access some trauma material, and you and you get them on board, or you ask them how that is for them. If the protective system feels respected as you go in with the um, EMDR mm-hmm. work, you'll get much less backlash and much more of a successful outcome with the EMDR. When you combine it with IFS, it's they can work very well together.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's well said, and I. I gave you an impossible question here with uh, four (laughs) minutes left. Um, I I also find that in the case of clients with a lot of trauma that the protectors are like you said, quite polarized also, they can be quite angry. Um, and sometimes clients and me are a little surprised to, to stumble into that, especially if it's a client that, um, presents as kind of quiet or meek or kind of scared, right. And then Mm -hmm. you have a protector that's up and it's really angry, right. It's the first time Mm -hmm. the client's self has ever met this protector. And sometimes that first meeting can be, um, intense. And so, Again, back to the therapist, right? It's like working with my own system and um, going really slow um, with folks as we step into to, to their system and also because mm-hmm. um, their parts are checking me out too and wondering, of uh, course, is this guy okay? Right? Is you know, yeah, yeah. is it okay for me to come out? Can um, can can the people in the room handle my anger? Right? And yeah. oftentimes they have very good reasons as to why they are the way they are. Right? Uh-huh. Well, and also I think.
1: You know, I have angry parts that come up around children that have been hurt, right? I've got parts that mm-hmm. are just, you know, currently what's what's happening in Gaza, that the children that are being children are being killed. Like, what is that? You know, mm-hmm. and I have parts tremendously sad about that, and also parts that are just really angry about that. And parts that get very angry about the hurt that's been visited on some of my trauma clients. And my work is to acknowledge those parts of me, because they're great parts to have and then ask them to pull back so I can be present with the client in the way they need me to be which is yeah. not me being angry or me being sad it's me holding my compassion for them and yeah. that's the, that's the work of the IFS therapist really get your own parts out of the way so mm. that you can be present for the client and to, and then to be able to facilitate their healing from that place yeah yeah
0: great um just about a minute left here derek and just being Uh, mindful of time we have one question we've already kind of (laughs) touched on it a little bit and i know this is a bigger can of worms for uh, ifs at large now as it gains popularity at an incredible rate i've personally never seen anything like it Mm -hmm. um in in the demand for ifs training but ann on youtube asks best resources for becoming proficient at ifs
1: you need to be in a program where you're practicing the model that's the key piece now if you can get into the ifs institute um that's good their level one training but they have thousands of applicants and they they do a lottery some people have been entering the lottery for eight years yeah uh there's my program stepping stone people that have taken that and the level one tell me they uh regard them as being the same um that's from their perspective mm-hmm. Uh, any program you can get into where you get supervised practice, and you, that's the key piece. So a lot of the courses that are around PESI or the online circle, they're recordings. You, know, you 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 don't get that lived experience. And if you're not practicing, you can't become aware of your own parts and the challenges, as you named John, that come up. So uh, the Stepping Stone course has availability right now for January if people want to sign up for that. Um, but, yeah, anything that offers right. supervised practice from credible folk is what you want to be doing
0: great yeah and again i'm um derek's not paying me to say this but uh i'm part of his stepping stones program and it's wonderful it's a really great blend of didactic so teaching just enough but then letting us try it right and work in practice groups and be the client and be the therapist and be an observer right and then we get our questions answered the next week in a consulting group it's just a really nice flow of practice and learning Mm -hmm. um so it's been incredible for, for me. Um, so if folks are interested, I would say jump on it sooner than later because mine filled up really fast when I yeah, signed they, up. And, uh, they, tend, they tend to. Yeah. 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 So next one starting in January, as Derek said, um, ifsca.ca to learn more about the Stepping Stones program. Um, I've got a link to Derek's uh, YouTube channel here in the chat. I'll also put it in the description. And um, yeah, make sure to check out his channel and subscribe there as well and reach out um, if you're interested in um, in one of his programs. So Derek, I can't thank you enough for being here, just getting us started in this uh, new chapter of our show over here. So um, it's been really wonderful. I can't think of a better teacher to come and, and warm us up to, um, to to learning about IFS. So thank you again.
1: I appreciate the invite. Thanks, John.
0: I'll see right. you. Again. Thanks, Derek. See yeah. everyone. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. Okay, I've got some going.